Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Being mindful and being in the present, it's like, you know, we can basically redefine what it means to be a successful parent. If it's less about achieving some future oriented goal and more about how we show up to each moment, you know, then we can really have a lot of successful moments. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 322. Today, we're talking about No More Parenting Stress with Jill Stoddard. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence kids. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Hey, glad you're here. I hope that you're doing okay today and uh, and all is all is well in your world. You know, life is not easy, man. <laughs> I think for every single one of us, we've had some things been going on in our family, like health things and <sighs> thank goodness for my meditation practice all I got to say for that. And we're hanging in there. We're, we're staying through and enjoying the beautiful fall leaves here in Delaware. And I hope wherever you are, you're seeing the beauty. I think for me, when things get tough, that's one of the things I do is I say, okay, right here, right now, like what 
where's where's the beauty right here right now what can I appreciate and that really helps for sure I've been leaning into my gratitude journal at night love that and it really helps me to refocus on what's happening and anyway and so yeah so I hope that all is well in your world and you are also focusing on what you can appreciate there. And we have a really insightful conversation for you today. Jill Stoddard is the director of the Center for Stress and Anxiety Management. She's an award-winning teacher, TEDx speaker, author, and co-host of Psychologists Off the Clock podcast. And we're going to be talking about anxiety. We're going to be talking about acceptance and commitment therapy, and really like living a full size, not fun size, not Halloween candy size life. So we're going to be talking about how we can get off of that, you know, achievement failure cycle, you know, world that our culture pushes on us so much and, and, and really how to, you know, we're talking about acceptance and commitment therapy and how it can help us, how it can expand that window of tolerance and really let us lean into the fullness of life, which is not always easy, man. It's not. So that's why I've got Jill on here today to talk to us all about it. And now join me at the table as I talk to Jill Stoddard. And you ask a great question in your TED Talk, which I think is so cool. So you ask about like, basically what is the goal of parenting? And, you know, so I'm like, okay, the goal, you know, I want to raise happy, healthy, emotionally adjusted kids. And, and then you say like, and if you could basically reach that goal by magic and just like, I could snap my fingers and the result is like, you could have a perfectly well-adjusted 30 year old. Would you do that? So I loved that question. And I wanted you, I was wondering if you could tell us why you asked that question, just kind of bring us in that way. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I, I think you know, the, the, really the point of the Ted talk is how it's so natural for us in in this culture, especially in Western cultures to be really focused on outcomes, you know, goals and outcomes. Um, but the problem is we don't have a lot of control over that. The part that we get to control is the, the choice that we make in this moment right now. Um, and you know, it's, it's essentially like a, like a cliche, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, but the TED Talk expands that um, in a lot of ways because I don't think, so for as difficult as parenting is on a you know day-to-day or even moment-by-moment basis, none of us would give our kids away and take them back at 30, even if that meant they were perfect, whatever perfect means, because we do really get that it's about the the moments that we're spending with them that really matter, like even when so many of those are so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I I really got that from your TED talk and it was like, yes, yes. I mean, you know, my daughters are now 11 and 14. And so it's like, I'm, you know, I only have maybe four years left with my oldest daughter living at home with me. And so it's like, oh, it is the moments, even if she's like a grumpy, like miserable teen at the time, like I would definitely, yeah, I would never trade that for the the perfect 30 year old. Um, I think that's such a, a helpful point. And this idea of, of kind of being, being in the present moment, um, and, 
you know, this idea of it's like this being in the present moment is a, a sort of antidote to the achievement failure cycle. And it's kind of like you're, well, maybe you could just tell us a, a little bit more why that's so important and what does that achievement failure cycle do to our brains as, mm -hmm. as parents? Right. Well, you know, I think in relation to that focus on outcomes and goals is this is really how we define success. Like I set a goal and, and maybe that goal is that my kid gets into a particular college. Um, although that's really a goal for someone else, that's not even a goal for us, which makes it even less out of our control. But, you know, there's this idea that like we set a goal, we take steps to achieve it. And if we get that outcome we're shooting for, that makes us a success. But the problem with that is, you know, there's a couple different things. Um, one is this idea that like, we really are not in control of many, many outcomes. Um, you know, so let's take jobs, for example, you could fill out lots of applications, but whether you actually land the job or not, there's many, many factors that go into that, that may have very little to do with you. And so you know, if we define success as our ability to achieve outcomes, then we're setting ourselves up for a lot of failure when those, um, you know, when our goals are really outcome driven. And you can see how much this relates to parenting because there's so little that's, that's in our control yeah. when it comes yeah. to, to those kinds of things. And so being mindful and being in the present, it's like, you know, we can basically redefine what it means to be a successful parent. If it's less about achieving some future oriented goal and more about how we show up to each moment, um, you know, then we can really have a lot of successful moments. Like we can choose, I like to call it the me you want to be in each moment. And if you think about the word moment, like the letters that spell moment, the word me sits right inside the middle of the word moment. So it's an easy thing to remember. Who's the me I want to be in this moment? Um, but also mom is in that word. Mm -hmm. Who's the mom I want to be in this moment? And that, um, you know, we get to, we get to decide who shows up and what happens when we're not being mindful is we're on autopilot, right? Um, and so for me, that often looks like at the end of the day, feeling grumpy, feeling irritable. Um, and so if I'm on autopilot, I'm snapping at my kids and I'm not showing up as the mom or the me that I want to be in that moment. Um, but when I'm present and when I'm mindful, when I'm aware that my, my shoulders are tense and that I have a column of anxiety going from my, my throat to my belly, which is where mine shows up and I can kind of open up and take a breath, then there's that space between a trigger, like my kids fighting, that's the big one for me, as mm -hmm. I'm sure it is for many of the listeners and how I choose to respond. It's that it's creating that space of choosing to respond rather than reacting. And if I just constantly think like me, I wanna be in this moment or mom, I wanna be in this moment, it helps to remind me to take that pause to be able to choo choose that response. You know, the choice is really Huge. the most important thing. It's the most yeah. important thing. Yeah. yeah. So were you, were you, uh, you're saying all the things <laughs> we talk about and, and, right. and I talk about in raising good humans, which I love. And, um, what, 
were you all, were you trained, were you trained to be like achievement oriented and goal focused or were you, were you in a, were you in a more process oriented (laughs) family growing up? No, I was definitely in an achievement oriented outcome, (laughs) you know, type of success family and grad school. You know, I mean, I think everything that I, that I have done, um, or been exposed to has really been more of that outcome results, achievement oriented, um, environment. And it wasn't until I found acceptance and commitment therapy in graduate school, um, because even other kinds of therapies tend to be focused on an outcome of getting rid of panic attacks or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something of that nature and acceptance and commitment therapy is focused more on what are your values? Who's the me you want to be? And how do you, how are you going to choose to show up to each moment, mindfully open, aware, um, and willing to experience the discomfort that can come along with some of those things. And that was, I mean, act was just a complete game changer for me. I'm excited to talk about, um, act, but I, I want to kind of jump back to one thing you said, which is this idea of, even these are other therapies were focused on kind of like the outcome of getting rid of panic attacks. And what I've noticed is that like, you know, that, that whole, that cliche of what we resist persist is really true. And yeah. that sometimes, um, you know, in mindful parenting, we teach tools to take care of our difficult feelings. And sometimes we engage with those tools, even when we start to engage with those tools, just even just with the intention to just get rid of those feelings, those difficult feelings, like the intention, you said the therapy of the outcome, getting rid of panic attacks, like they can just be even stickier because of just Mm -hmm. that intention to get rid of. And I wonder if that's something you saw, you know, in the work that you did. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. 
There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my favorite metaphor for this that I think when people hear it, it's like this aha moment, like, oh, of course, is, you know, if you think about um, if I were to hook you up to, say, an anxiety or stress detector machine, it's like a lie detector, but, you know, mm-hmm. it it it, um, it detects your stress and anxiety. And I say to you, whatever you do, just don't get anxious and you'll be totally fine. <laughs> but if you do get anxious, it's going to deliver a lethal shock and you're going to die. But just don't get anxious and you'll be totally fine. <laughs> right. You're laughing because you know that that is a sure prescription for death. Right. And it's not because the stakes aren't high enough because our lives are, you know, the thing that we're most motivated to preserve. But if you think about what that means, you're now telling yourself about anxiety is you're saying, oh my God, this is bad. It's terrible. It's dangerous. I have to get rid of it. If I don't get rid of it, I'm going to die. And that's Mm -hmm. precisely what people do with stress, anxiety, panic. A lot of the emotions that we have that are uncomfortable, that we prefer not to have, we start to tell ourselves that they're bad and they're dangerous and they're terrible and I have to get rid of it. And so now you're anxious about the anxiety. So you're anxious. So it's this paradox that as long as you're unwilling to have it, you're going to have it because mm. you're anxious about anxiety. You're stressed about stress. And so then people will ask me, okay, great. So then if I'm willing to have it, then will it go away? <laughs> like, well, not quite. If you're unwilling to have it, it will be set on high, no matter what, if you're willing to have it, then your emotions will do what emotions do, which is wax and wane and go up and down. And, you know, because we're human beings and that's just the deal. Mm. hmm yeah, that's that's so helpful. I mean, as long as you're unwilling to have it, you you will have it. And so it's it's asking a lot though because that's kind of the the basic human response is aversion or attraction, right? Like that's mm-hmm. like the basic animal response to kind of everything is like I either I'm attracted to this or I'm averse to this. And so we kind of move towards or we move away from things. And so we're, um, we're asking ourselves to, um, to, we're, 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 we're practicing and training ourselves to, to not be averse to something that feels uncomfortable. Right. That's exactly right. And you know, where this is a, this is a difficult training to participate in because we are evolutionarily programmed to, if you're having panic or anxiety, that is your body saying you're in danger. Mm -hmm. You need to flee. Right. And the problem is there's a lot of false alarms in terms of what, you know, it's a perception. All you need is a perception of danger to feel panicky or anxious, but it doesn't mean the situation is actually dangerous. And in fact, um, and I think this is the most important thing I've learned in my own experience and, and that I, I really love to impart on other people is when you think about the stuff that makes you stressed or anxious or worried or whatever it is, like think about the last time you were laying awake at night. Cause we've all had that problem, right? Like in bed and the wheels are spinning is like, what, what were you worrying about? And I bet you, you weren't worrying about whether there's going to be a season two of your favorite Netflix drama. 
even though you might love that, even though it might be a great escape, um, it's not what you worry about because you Wait, don't care no, I want Bridgerton to come back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you do, but do you worry about it no, at no, night? No, no. no, right? So you can like love it and, you know, get a lot of joy of it. It's not keeping you up at night because it's not the thing you care about. The thing that keeps us up at night are our kids and partners and jobs and friendships. And it's the stuff that matters to us. And even if someone said, well, that's not what I worry about. I'm just worrying about the fact that I can't sleep. Okay, but why? What's so bad about you not being able to sleep? What are you afraid will be sacrificed tomorrow if you're not getting a full night's sleep? And then that's about work or family or relationships. And, and so we have these emotions that are telling us run and hide danger, danger when in fact, but that's a false alarm. A lot of the times when in fact, what they're really telling us is this is like a bright red neon arrow pointing at exactly what you care about, because Mm. if you didn't care about it, you wouldn't feel stressed or anxious about it. Mm. And so, so instead, like that's a good reason or a good motivation to maybe consider leaning in. Mm-hmm. instead of that instinctual running away. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, I think that we're kind of trained by our society to be comfortable. Right. Yeah. And so we run away. And what you're saying is that like this, this pain, this difficulty is saying, this is really important to you. So like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I love what Jill's doing here. She's inviting us to reframe your difficulties as something that is this is this is something that's important to you this is like where you get into like where your values are and what matters exactly. to you right and that's then circling back really important in the acceptance and commitment therapy right right yeah exactly exactly and you know I, and i tell people that they don't like this um this information very much but i've been doing act myself you know i do it with clients but i also practice it in my own life and it's been just over 20 years And I feel more anxious now than I've ever felt in my life. But the reason for that is because I play big, like I live big, you know, it Mm -hmm. makes me nervous to do podcast interviews, right? (laughs) You're like putting yourself out there for people to potentially judge you. But one of my main missions in life is to try to spread the word about ACT as much as I can, because I know how much it's benefited me and I know that it can benefit other people. And I want that information to get out there. And this is one of the ways I do it. Now, if that feeling of discomfort, that fear of, of being judged, you know, for not coming across competently or whatever the case may be, interestingly, if I let that dictate my choices, I wouldn't be here right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of the things I choose to do are things that make me anxious, but they also make me feel really alive. Mm-hmm. And so it's this like saying yes to the stuff that lights you up, knowing that a lot of times those are the exact things that are going to scare the heck out of you. Yes, that's totally true. I can relate with all the things you're saying too, because I, I do all these interviews for for raising good humans. And it's like, sometimes it's like, you're on like morning TV and like, they're like, okay. You don't respond right away. And and that's, I definitely feel like the, the the pulse racing and all those things there. And I, I have to kind of take time to recover from that, but it is something that is incredibly important to me. Yes, yes, yes. To all of that. So, so Mm -hmm. it can, you're pointing to this fact that it can allow you to 
do some things that maybe just trying to be comfortable won't like, if you're just in your comfort zone, you're not going to be able to do these things that will help you live life as fully as possible. Yeah. It's never where growth comes from. There's nothing wrong with the comfort zone. We should all spend a little bit of time there with our Netflix and our comfy blankets and our cups of tea or, or wine or what have you, but it's not really where like growth and energy and those kinds of things come from. So can you take us back, Jill, to like kind of your, your own story before you found, um, ACT and kind of what you were struggling with as far as your anxiety? Mm. Well, I started, I think I found it in graduate school in my first or second year of my PhD program. Um, and during that time, I mean, it was just an incredibly difficult, but wonderful training program, um, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on at home. My parents separated, my mom had started drinking and I'm trying to get a PhD working, you know, seven days a week, 12 hours a day for four years or something like that. And so I think that's where I, I never really struggled with anxiety before Mm -hmm. then. Um, and in fact, (laughs) when I was in graduate school, my friends, my classmates, you know, would talk about being really like overtly, um, scared, anxious, freaked out about different things going on. And I would kind of have this smile on my face. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but this isn't that big a deal. Like I feel fine. And then the next day I'm in the ER with the worst migraine I've ever had. So it was in grad school that I actually developed like debilitating migraines. I mean, I would have a horrific migraine every single month. And, um, that was because I was not practicing acceptance or willingness as it's called an act, I was stuffing all the stuff down related to graduate school and my mom and my parents and stuffing, stuffing, stuffing. And I really think this was the cost that it all came out physically instead. Mm. And, um, once I was really able to learn act well enough that I was able to apply it to my own life, that really shifted a lot where then I could, you know, sort of experience actual anxiety and recognize like, this is worry. Um, that, I mean, it's mostly worry for me. And then that kind of constant, like anxiety that settles in the chest, not panic or anything like that. Um, and, and really what it boils down to is being able to change my relationship to those experiences, you know, being able to like acknowledge that this is, either a sign that this is something that's important to me. Um, or, you know, sometimes your emotions are, are a call to action too, right? Like sometimes guilt means you've done something wrong that you make amends need to make amends for. Sometimes anger means there's been an injustice or you've been wronged in some way. I think I just got better at being able to really pay attention to what is this trying to tell me? And instead of just shoving it away, can I really like open up and make space for this to be present and then focus on choosing my life and letting my life be exactly as I want it to be, even when this, this pain is along for the ride. 
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. It's really like the, it's a lot of mindfulness here. It's like awareness of this is what I'm feeling. This is where I'm feeling it. I'm like, I'm not running away from it. I'm just looking at it. And you talk about that acceptance, right? Like that's that, that's the A in act is like that acceptance of this is what is right now. I'm accepting the reality of of what is here in the present moment. And that's like the biggest hurdle for a lot of people, right? To just accept that, um, that right now I'm, Uh, I feel irritated right now. I feel resentful, you know, right now I'm not like totally, I don't like my kids that much at the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, to like accept those, um, you know, those, those unpleasant, unsavory, difficult parts of ourselves. This, this is one of the, the biggest pieces, right. Is to, and hurdles. And so how do, how, you know, in acceptance and commitment therapy, how do we get to this, this acceptance part? Like, how does the, how, how do you walk people through this? Sure. Well, I think, first of all, I want to say one thing in response to, to what you were just talking about, which is what the word that kept coming to me as you were talking about was the non-judgment part Mm -hmm. of mindfulness, Mm -hmm. you know, because, and that right when you said, you know, maybe right now I don't like my kids that much and that we're so quick to judge ourselves for our feelings when we don't control our feelings, feelings just happen. Like that's part of being human. And I think that non-judgment part of mindfulness and acceptance is critically important. And the first time that really like it, like hit me like a ton of bricks is when I was first learning about mindfulness again in grad school. And I thought I'm going to like test this out. Cause I didn't, I wasn't really sure. I wasn't getting it skeptical. Right. 
And I, I used to take the bus in the winter and it was not a pleasant experience. And I was waiting for the bus. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to like try to ride this bus mindfully because, you know, go big or go home. <laughs> and I'm waiting in the freezing cold and I'm like noticing, you know, that my ears hurt. And I'm noticing every time I breathe in that my nose freezes. And as I breathe out, it unfreezes and several buses drive by me and don't pick me up because they're full because the colder it is, the more full the buses get. And I noticed, you know, that feeling of almost like desperation and, um, etc. So then I get on the bus and now it's like 80 degrees and I notice the sweat dripping down and I'm, and I notice my, my leg muscles tensing as I'm trying to surf because I'm too short to reach the handle and it's very crowded. And what I noticed was that this was not suddenly like, wow, I love riding the bus because mindfulness just makes everything amazing. What rainbow I noticed, sparkles. <laughs> rainbow and sparkles, but what I noticed is that it made it far less unpleasant. And mm. that the reason for that was because the experience was just what it was, not all the stuff my mind would normally judge it for being. This is awful. This sucks. Why is this bus so crowded? Why does the temperature have to change? This is right. Like all that, all that stuff you tell yourself about the experience mm -hmm. is I think what really causes more suffering. And that when you can just be with the experience, even when the experience is unpleasant, without judging it, that makes such a big difference. And I have found that to be particularly helpful as a mother, because there's, there's a lot of parenting that is so difficult and that we layer so much judgment onto that when you just show up to the experience, you know, it doesn't mean changing diapers is going to be rainbow and sparkles, right? Yes. But it makes it a far less unpleasant experience. Thankfully I'm years out of diapers, but just as an example. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or the, the car seat, like you can celebrate when you like <laughs> get rid of that big, enormous car seat that you have to lug around everywhere. But if you right. can not fight and resist that it has to happen and just accept that it has to happen every single time, then you're not suffering. I mean, in the, that kind of goes right. to, there's that, that, equation pain times resistance equals suffering right so we're gonna have pain we're gonna life has pain like the, we are sensing people you know human beings we're sensing animals life is gonna have pain life is gonna have difficulty and what jill is saying is that is we can let go of that resistance and accept this we're kind of taking away this whole layer of suffering of like oh and what's wrong with me that i'm so um, grumpy right now because I'm in the cold in the bus, you know, waiting for the bus. And, you know, why can't, you know, this whole layer of like commentary that just, just what the brain does that just isn't helpful. Exactly. So do you, um, do you have a meditation practice? Are you practicing mindfulness in everyday life or what, how do you? So for me early on, I tried to do a more formal meditation practice, but it was grad school. It was like the worst time to try to do that <laughs> because there just really literally was absolutely no time. There was barely time to sleep. Um, and so in recent years, I go through kind of spurts where I'll do like 10 minutes a day, but I've never been like a 45 minute a day meditator. But what I prefer is mindfulness in everyday life, but I do this in an active way. So not just, I'm going to pay attention to whatever's going on. 
And this actually answers your question about how do we practice willingness? Because these two things go together. Like, how do we get this muscle stronger for accepting stuff that we don't want to accept? Now, if I told you, like, just like suck it up and make space for your anxiety, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Nobody could do that. And therapists would be out of a job. And I think this is a, this is a, this is a muscle that needs to be strengthened over time. And we start with practices that are like relatively benign so that you can actually get a sense of mastery. So one of my favorite things is for example, if you are a woman who shaves your legs or a man who shaves their legs, if you're a person who shaves your legs, when you get in the shower, you have a ritual for how you do this. You do your right leg first and then your left leg or vice versa. You start in the front, you go around clockwise, et cetera. If you completely switch that up, so now you do your left leg first and you start in the back and you go from back to front to side to side, not in order. First of all, this forces you to be present. It, it kicks you right off autopilot and you are there. You're, and I guarantee you're not worrying about the meeting that you have later. Mm-hmm. because you have to focus, but you also are practicing, or it's an opportunity to practice willingness because you will feel weird and right. It's, it's awkward. It doesn't feel right. It's not how I want to do it. And you'll also notice an urge to go back to your normal way. And if you can really notice that experience of, I just want to go back. That's the thing we always respond to when we end up diving for our comfort zone. Hmm. even if it's pulling us away from something that's important in our lives. Now, shaving your legs, it doesn't matter, but it's just a practice. And so if you can notice that urge and make space for it and keep shaving your legs in a bizarre pattern, then you're starting to build that muscle. And there are a million fun ways to do this. I just got this image of like all these like people walking down the street with these like wacky shaved legs, like in zigzag <laughs> patterns, like we're just practicing what Jill said to do. We're doing a mindfulness practice. I love this. What else can kick us out of that autopilot comfort zone? Yeah. So I'll give you like a couple of my other favorite okay. practices. If you're someone who carries a back or a, you know, like a, a purse on your shoulder, just put it on the other shoulder and your chiropractor will love you because they want you to do that anyway. Um, for me, I did a, I have a podcast too, my psychologist off the clock podcast. Um, and we did a practice together, my guest and I, where we both took our glasses and put them on upside down, right? Because now they feel, <laughs> this is funny. where you want the video portion yeah, of the podcast. We don't do listening. video for my podcast. So this will be good for your YouTube. So they feel wrong and funny on my face. My prescription is different in the lenses. So now I can't see very well. <laughs> And I have a strong urge to put them back the other way. But like, this is something where I could sit and spend some time just noticing how all of that feels Mm. and choosing to make space and not respond to the desire to put them back. Mm. My most favorite one, and this is a great one for parents because you can do this with your kids. And I actually have a video of doing this with my kids on, on my YouTube channel is to take bean boozled jelly beans. Have you heard of these? Oh, is it like the one, it's like the Harry Potter ones where yes. they're like, there's like the snot flavor yes. and there's rotten egg. And, oh, I love giving my kids those. So if you get the full <laughs> game, the game comes with a spinner Oh yeah. and you spin it and it lands on like the white jelly bean and you just have to pick a white and eat it. 
and it's either going to be buttered popcorn or spoiled milk and you don't know. And so what I like is like, first do this the way you would normally do it. Don't worry about being mindful. Don't worry about acceptance. And what that means is you're going to eat it with your face scrunched up. You're going to, you're going to have all this like dread and anticipation and you're going to resist it in all the ways we resist anticipating a disgusting flavor in our mouth. So do that and then do it willingly where you're kind of coming at this with an open stance. You're curious you know, you're noticing the anticipation, you're noticing, you know, maybe some dread about what this could be. And then you're biting and you're noticing the, the um, saliva and the flavor as it rises and maybe a feeling of disgust, maybe a feeling of relief, but you're not scrunching up your face. You're not spitting it out. You're just opening and allowing the experience to be whatever it happens to be. And remembering the reason this is my favorite is they're just jelly beans, right? You're not really eating vomit or skunk. You're just eating jelly beans. So it's this kind of like safe and benign way that you can really like stretch your ability to allow discomfort. Um, and it's fun. And I love this. You know, it's so funny because like my kids are completely resistant to all things mindfulness because their mom is the mindful mama mentor. And so but I think they would do this. <laughs> I think this might be one that they would try. Especially if you're going to do it with them. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like that's yeah. the thing is the kids want to see the parents do it. And do you know, I actually did this as an adult, like probably four and a half to five years ago with my own mom. Hmm. So she was, you know, 60 something. And it was actually, we didn't know this at the time, but it was very shortly before she died. Oh. And I have all these videos of my adult brother and my sister-in-law and myself and my mom playing this bean boozled game. And it is like one of my most cherished <laughs> possessions to have these videos to just, and we weren't doing it mindfully. We were just doing it as, oh. you know, the silly game, but the best part of it was the fact that my like 66 or 67 year old mom <laughs> was willing to play this game to have fun with Aww. her children. So Aww. it's, so if you can combine that with like a mindfulness, willingness practice, it's, it hits all the, all the, all the, you know, the spots. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that, Jill. I think that's wonderful. I mean, yeah, that's like, uh, that just kind of like accepting and allowing what arises. Like, I feel like that's what you do in, in every meditation session, like even whether it's five minutes or whatever, right? Like you sit and your mind wanders and you think about what you're going to do later. And then you have a feeling that arises and all that stuff comes up and it's like building a muscle of non-reactivity, right? Which is like, right. this is like what we need as parents is this muscle of non-reactivity, exactly. non right? Yeah. Um, and it's, and I really think that important piece, it's not just noticing the taste of the jelly bean or the feeling of the glasses. Like it's noticing the moment you really want to flip to something, mm -hmm. you know, you really want to mm -hmm. escape. You really want to spit it out you, mm -hmm. because that's that thing we respond to. Mm -hmm. And if we can make space for that, or even just like make the, the moments of experiencing that and noticing it a little bit longer, as we were saying in the beginning. So now we're choosing how to respond instead of being on autopilot or reactive. It's incredibly powerful. And I encourage people to think of their own fun ways to do this. I mean, almost everything we do, we do in kind of a ritualistic way, right? Like, or just brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand 
or do the top before the bottom. If you normally do the bottom before the top, um, you can listen to like the sound of jackhammers on YouTube or crying babies. If you think about your senses, your five senses, just pick anything music you love music, you hate and mm -hmm. practice listening to it in a resistant way. Like, Oh, shut it off. I hate it. Stick my fingers in my ears. You know, I have that response to music by the cars and heart. There are just certain bands <laughs> I like, but if I listen to it mindfully and I just notice the drums and then I notice the guitar, it's like a totally different experience. So those mm. are the ways I really like practice everyday mindfulness rather than doing kind of like a separate meditation practice. And I have found that it's helped me be able to apply it, you know, because it is so applied than mm -hmm. in my everyday experience. Yes. I love this. These are great, like practices of mindfulness in, in everyday life. I'm a, I'm a firm believer of both, <laughs> mm -hmm. both, both the formal practice and these informal practices, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, this would be interesting. There's certain music though. My husband makes electronic music and he's like really into like this, like weird, he's really into like strange experimental electronic music. And like occasionally they have like some music where they play these like high pitched like sounds that are literally painful to my ears. Like, I don't think he even hears them. Like we have different registers and I'm just like, <laughs> ow, like this is to stop. And he's like, oh, so judgmental. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You'll have to try it as a mindfulness. Practice. I guess I will. I will have to breathe through that and relax into the experience of that at some point. <laughs> All right. So tell us a little, um, tell us a little more about acceptance and commitment therapy. We have this uh, mindfulness piece, this piece about bringing curiosity to the moment. And, you know, that's mindfulness is like this placing our attention in the present moment with an attitude of kindness and curiosity, right? So that's accepting, accepting what is here. So we've got this acceptance piece. What else is there? Yeah. Well, the overall goal of ACT is psychological flexibility. And so mm -hmm. what that means is our ability to show up to the, this present moment with everything in it um, and do what matters. And then the practice of ACT is different skills to be able to build that psychological flexibility. And so of course that the scaffolding is the mindfulness because you can't change anything until you're first aware of what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, and then the acceptance piece we've talked about. And I think it's important to clarify when we talk about acceptance, we're talking about acceptance of internal experiences, uh, you know, physical, physical uh, sensations, emotions, urges, we're not talking about like, uh, if you're in an abusive relationship, just accept that your partner is beating you up, right? Like th that is yeah. not what we mean when we talk about acceptance, but what we would be talking about is when you have anxiety around that situation, can you learn to make space for that anxiety rather than having it dictate your choices? So that's acceptance. Um, another piece of it is called diffusion, and this is related to our thoughts. Um, and it's called many things in many different kinds of traditions and practices, decentering, but it's the idea that we become, um, an observer of our thoughts rather than getting, you know, fused or sort of, um, hooked by them. So can I step back and notice what my mind is saying and then choose how to respond. If I listen to this thought, it's not saying all thoughts are bad, but it's, if I listen to this thought, is it going to move me in the direction of the person I want to be or the life that I want to have? 
Um, so like if the thought is saying, hey, your rent is due tomorrow, that's a thought you want to listen to, assuming you care about keeping a roof over your head. But if the thought is saying, you know, like, Jill, you're so boring, you should definitely not be on the Mindful Mama podcast because you have nothing valuable to offer the world. But like my values are around sharing act, then that's one that I want to be able to like observe and kind of say like, okay, thank you, mind. I get that like you're trying to protect me from failing and humiliating myself, but I'm going to choose to move forward in this action anyway, because it matters to me. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's different skills for willingness, for diffusion. Um, and then the really, the big piece is really getting clear on your values, the me you want to be in each moment. And then what are the actions that you're going to take? The committed actions is what it's called an act to move you in those directions. Mm. And that's, that's like pretty much it in a nutshell. There's an, there's another piece called self as context, which really is about the observing self that we talked about. It's pretty similar to diffusion, but it's overall changing your relationship to thoughts and feelings. So they used to push you around and bully you into probably spending too much time in the comfort zone. Can you change your relationship to them? So you're observing them and making space for them and then making choices to move in the directions that give you the life you want and make you um, the person that you most want to be. I love this. And this is definitely a lot of overlap with, with mindfulness training in, in so many ways and awareness Mm -hmm. training. And, um, and, but that piece about like the values, I think is so important kind of defining what's important to you. And do you find that, um, you know, a lot of us, I guess, probably think that, um, you know, we, we kind of, you know, we think we have certain values sort of by default, but do you walk people through a process of defining those values? Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think there's a lot of, um, almost like misunderstanding around, around what values are. Like people think of values as like morals and that can be part of it. Um, but really what they are, it's, it's like partly about what you do, but it's really about how you do it. It's the qualities that you embody as you walk through the world and embody the roles that matter to you. So like you might say, I value parenting, but parenting is like a value domain. You know, we have domains of like family, friendship, romantic relationship, parenting, et cetera. It's like underneath that domain, when you are in the role of mom or dad, but you know, when you're, when I'm in the role of mom, what qualities do I want to embody? Is it patience? Is it, is it being loving, um, generous, kind, firm? Um, and, and, and your values stay the same, but those you choose to kind of like embrace and embody in the moment will depend on the context because my values, if I see a stranger try to kidnap my child are going to be different than those when I'm reading my son, a bedtime story. Yeah, absolutely. We just had this conversation. I was doing the a mindful parenting teacher training session before this, and we were talking about the value of kindness. And from like the outward point of view, the you know one might think like kindness may mean like, oh, that means I I I play when my kid asks me to play hide and go seek. I play hide and go seek because that's kind, and that may be one of the interpretations of it. But in the same, but in a different context, if you know, kindness could be, 
I am feeling really tired in myself. I'm so exhausted. And to be kind to myself, I'm holding a boundary around right. playing hide and go seek right now, unless I can go hide by like lying under the covers in the bed, you know? So um, th that is the same value, but that context is incredibly different, of course. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect example. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. I love this. I've been really fascinated by ACT uh, and ACT as I've, as I've heard about it and learned about it. And um, I'm glad you were able to explain it to us so beautifully. Um, Jill, this is, I think it's been fabulous talking to you. I've really enjoyed <laughs> everything you've had to say and the really clear and down to earth way you say it. Um, where can people find out more about you and what you're doing in the world? Sure. Well, everything is on my website at jillstoddard.com. Um, and if anybody wants to, to like learn more about act or practice act on their own, I have a book called be mighty and it's a book for women with anxiety and worry and stress. Uh, and that's an act self-help book basically. So you, you really like learn this much more in depth and how to apply it. Um, but on my website, you can find, I think my blog is there and my books are there. My podcast is psychologists off the clock, which is a we do like all sorts of topics in psychology, but it's predominantly act-based topics. So that's a good place for people to learn more too. Well, thank you so much for stepping out of your comfort zone and coming onto the, the podcast and also sharing your voice with the world with your book and your TED talk and all the things you're doing. Um, I, I really appreciate your, your voice and, and what you've shared. Thank you. Thanks, Hunter. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. I love how her whole story about the goal of parenting, it really, really strikes me. It's so, it's such an important wake up for me anyway. I hope it is for you. You know, that whole message to that, this is the, this is the journey and yeah, the journey is hard and it's uncomfortable and we got to build that, our tolerance to, to lean into that. Of course, this is the work we do in Mindful Parenting. So if you want to, if you're ready, you're ready to take it deeper, ready to take it beyond the podcast, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the wait list. I'd love to work with you personally, meet you personally on our Zoom calls. You know, we offer 36 hours of live parent coaching every year, which is amazing. So if you're interested, mindfulparentingcourse.com, get on the wait list. And I hope this has been helpful for you today. I hope it's watered your good seeds. I hope it's helped you lean into the joy and the challenges of this life. It's not, not easy, but you know, this is why we are here, why you're here listening, why I'm here doing this, why we share these amazing resources with our friends. We help each other out as best we can. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you things to notice and appreciate and good night's sleep and all of those good things. And I cannot wait to talk to you again next week. Thank you so much again for listening. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and 
not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Mindfulparentingcourse.com. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It.